I use the imposter syndrome as a sort of a forcing function to make myself more educated, learn as much more from people around me, and learn to make myself more successful based off of what's more unique to me versus trying to be someone else. That's Kamakshi Sivaramakrishnan, previously the CEO and co-founder of Drawbridge. And this is Saying the Quiet Part Out Loud, a podcast from LiveRamp. I'm your host, Daniela Harkins. I think we all walk around the office, well, we used to anyway, and see people that seem really confident. I know I do. And we think, wow, that person has probably never felt imposter syndrome. Well, surprise, we all have and we all do. This episode gets into the feelings we have at work that are not always easy to verbalize, but are important to talk about, especially as our work from home period continues. Here's Anika Gupta, LiveRamp's president and head of products and platforms, and Kamakshi Sivaramakrishnan, leader of the Drawbridge Integration and Identity Charter for LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. Listen in as they discuss what they've observed as tech leaders, particularly during the pandemic, and how they're using what they've learned to better support their teams, personally and professionally. So it's been about a year now that we've been working from home, which is kind of hard to believe. I know when we started the pandemic, I thought it was going to be two to three weeks before we were back in the office again. And it was a really big adjustment for me. And I know for so many people on my team to go to this model where we're living at work (laughs) as opposed to working from home. Kamakshi, what are some of the insights that you've had around the challenges of managing teams from work from home, as well as some of the things that you've learned about how to help on a more personal side, as well as for your teams, how to help them be successful in this work from home model. Honestly, I'll just, I'll just go out there and say it. It's been more challenging than obviously most of us anticipated it to be. And uh, along the way, I think they're all coming out as better human beings and better people with a with a higher sense of empathy, not just in a professional context, but in a human context as well. And a few things that kind of stood out to me is how much I had internalized sort of the face-to-face interactions. It was such a normal part of our functioning and our behavior that, you know, adjusting to that in sort of the Zoom context basically resulted in so many mistakes. Instead of sort of having that face-to-face dynamic where you're able to read the body language, you're able to participate, you can lean in and people know that you're ready to speak, that dynamic has changed to a screen. So many times I've noticed both myself and when I see other participants, Male or female, but tends to happen a little bit more around today, you know, whether it's a female PM, female engineer, or whatever else it is, kind of finding your voice. For that matter, even a male engineer, male PM as well, finding your voice in these conversations where you're able to sort of be both an advocate, you're able to be heard. There were sort of so many of these things that I started observing, learning, and kind of adapting and adjusting. These were all really interesting things as far as sort of my experience over 2020 from a work perspective is concerned. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, especially in terms of finding your voice on these endless Zoom calls. I know the first couple of months of doing Zoom calls, it felt like everyone was always interrupting each other because you couldn't read that signal of 
when is someone ready to talk and and how do you insert your voice? That's something that that I've struggled with. One of the things that I've actually found that's made meetings way more productive and allowed more people to find their voice in during especially big meetings is using the chat functionality. So Mm -hmm. we have at Liveroom developed not even purposefully, but I think it just kind of came about that we developed a culture where during meetings, people are having conversations using the chat and chatting everyone. And then what's really interesting is seeing the dynamic of how the person that's leading the discussion pulls out points from the the chat to then highlight that as a broader discussion topic. And in that way, it's almost been easier to bring out different voices and have people be heard and make your points without feeling like you're constantly interrupting the flow of the conversation, which is already jilted over Zoom. That was actually something that I didn't even fully internalize and realize was happening until someone external to LiveRamp brought that to my attention about the way that we do our meetings and point out that practice. And I think that's been a really big boon for those who are less comfortable, like maybe verbally speaking out in meeting. Absolutely. As woman leader, do you feel a, a sense of responsibility yourself to be able to kind of create more participation? I've always been pretty mindful of that, partially because of the path that I've taken through LiveRamp and and having risen up through the organization and feeling at various points in my career that I didn't feel comfortable speaking up and I had a perspective and I didn't know how to make it. That still happens to me sometimes today. I'm in a new situation with new people and I don't know how to insert myself in a way that doesn't come across as too aggressive or interrupting someone. So that's a challenge for me. So I am very cognizant of it for people in the organization that we're in a meeting and there isn't, we're not hearing someone's perspective that's important to the conversation, how to help like either ask a question to them or sometimes like I know if I'll ping them on the side just individually and say, hey, I want to, I want to ask you this question so that they're prepared and they don't feel like they're being called on and cold called on in class for something. Like I don't want people to have that experience either. And so those are some of the tactics that I've used to try to bring out more people in the conversation. It is difficult. And I think it's difficult, especially when you haven't been thoughtful about right-sizing the participants for your meeting. You have way too many people in a conversation that actually should be much fewer, or you don't have enough people in the conversation that actually should be larger. It's made me a lot more cognizant of, do we have the right people in the meeting? Because we don't want to have four Zoom calls on the same topic. But also if you have too many people, it becomes like kind of untenable, even if you're fairly good at moderating conversations, to actually bring out all the perspectives in a productive way. What an important point about right-sizing uh, meetings. I think this has made us more accountable to ourselves. Speaking of sort of your, your own career track, I've been so impressed, I've admired your rise uh, within the ranks, be it at LiveRamp, both as a private company, now as a public company, sort of your peer set, your, your executive team. The dynamics there are so interesting. I've had an opportunity to observe it from the outside. I now have an opportunity to observe it as a board member. Yeah, it's interesting. For my entire time working at LiveRamp, I've had a different different sets of, of peers, leaders that I've reported to, leaders that I've worked with, both within LiveRamp and then when LiveRamp was in the broader axiom. And I think what I've come to learn is figuring out how to connect with people that are very different than me, different in their upbringing, different in their stage of life, different in their career experiences. And it's really made me reflect time and time again, when I start working with new people, 
trying to think about like, what can I learn from all of these people that I'm working with? And not only like, what can I learn, but like, what do I bring to the table? Because it's often, it's so easy to get intimidated when I'm the youngest person in the room and the least experienced person in the room to think that there isn't something that I have to offer to the conversation, to the relationship or to the project that we're working on. And I think a big part of me going on this journey has been doing a lot of self-reflection and recognizing that there is value that I bring, even in situations where I feel imposter syndrome, which everyone feels. And even in a situation where I am like the youngest or least experienced person. So I think that's been a great learning. And then also looking at other people that are different and saying, hey, what can I learn from this person? There is always something that I can learn, whether it's a peer, whether it's someone that reports to me in the organization, whether it's someone reports to one of my peers, whether it's someone that I report to, there's always something to learn from the experiences of other people and really valuing that and having the curiosity to understand and to ask the questions about their experiences has been a great way for me to build those relationships and connections with people very different from me. I mean, you are the trusted voice uh, for your team, Scott, your uh, Libram CEO, insofar as the voice of technology, the voice of product. And it's amazing that uh, on a relative basis, uh, Scott has uh, many years ahead of you from a professional career perspective, but the kind of conviction and contributions that you've made to the success of the company gives you a seat at the table that you are the deciding voice in these key aspects around product, technology, strategy, customer success. It's amazing like how you have done that. I hope that people who are listening to our conversation are able to take like learning tips from you. And so you talked about imposter syndrome and when we all feel it, I hope that we learn that, look, these are normal things, are yes. normal feelings that many of us go through. We should not let it drag us down as we can, you know, continue to further in our careers. And um, and I myself also take lessons from how you have found your voice. You bring in something that's very unique that others don't have. And finding a voice around that and courage around that is the platform that you stand on. So great to hear that. Thank from you. Me. I feel similar admiration for you. And I was curious if you could actually share a time where you felt imposter syndrome and how you overcame that and then tying that back into to mentorship. Like how have you coached various people on your teams to work through their imposter syndrome? I think my experience of imposter syndrome has been kind of interesting. I'm sure you can relate to this, the entrepreneurial background that both of us share. Along the way of building the company that I founded, Drawbridge, I had to take on the role of uh, a founder, a CEO, a leader, understanding the value of technology from a market perspective. What does it take to make a business sort of successful? You know, there are sometimes as technologists, we tend to kind of over-index on the technology aspects and understanding sort of the right balance of technology and product market fit and business success. I obviously have a learning curve. And to be honest, I'm still a student of the industry. But earlier on, my learning curve was steeper and the expectations of where I had to be was higher on a relative basis. So I would feel some pretty strong imposter syndrome when I was in a room full of fellow CEOs, whether they are from the same industry or uh, competitors. Um, And arguably many times in many of these instances, we were a fledgling startup. So in many instances, these companies, these CEOs, these leaders had 
So the quote unquote more experience insofar as having built the company, built the industry and kind of what it takes to kind of make products and markets successful. So when I tried to find my voice here, I had a fair amount of learning to do as well and sort of the imposter syndrome that came along with that. That actually, to your point, the comment that you made earlier, I used the imposter syndrome as a sort of a forcing function to make myself more educated, learn as much more from people around me, and not try to be another person, but learn to make myself more successful based off of what's more unique to me. For example, like we both know Scott how very well. I mean, Scott, the CEO of LiveRamp, he's a very compelling figure. When he stands on stage and he gives perspectives in the industry and the market, it's, a, it's both inspiring, it's very educational. Now, I have to find my own voice in doing that by learning from the ways in which he pattern recognizes, he connects the dots and the experience he brings to the industry. But I stand on my own sort of platform and strength and how I connect the dots of technology and product to build something that's unique. Learning from Scott to kind of find my own voice to be able to be unique in myself and kind of make an impact. That's how I approach the problem. And I think it helped me, certainly. And uh, I certainly resonated with what you said along the way there as well. Yeah, I think you bring up a really interesting point in that there is actually a power in imposter syndrome that I think is not fully recognized, which is that it it does force you into this mindset of thinking about how do you learn? How do you get better? And often like where people trip up is that they're not humble enough to, to recognize that they have something to learn or they don't approach a situation that maybe they have encountered before with a beginner's mindset. And actually like you feel that this imposter syndrome, I love the way you talked about turning around that around and using it for learning. Cause I think that's such a powerful point. It's something to lean into and lean on instead of saying, trying to bury those feelings and and push that away. I mean, to some extent, you don't want that to overwhelm you and feel like put you into a state of paralysis where you don't feel like you can do anything. But if you use that and you, you turn that around and you say, hey, actually, this is an opportunity for me to learn, that's a really powerful tool to propel yourself forward and propel your career forward. Very well said. And Anika, you can probably sit a, you know, recognize this as you grow senior there are more people ahead of you there that phenomena continues so this kind of this learning experience of that converting that into an opportunity to learn and get better is something that we have to constantly do it's a talent that we have to nurture and develop speaking of talent i think uh, it kind of is another question that comes to mind so in the times of pandemic uh, that we are living in the whole problem of attracting talent nurturing talent retaining talent has acquired new dimensions of complexity. Would love to learn your experiences at LiveRam. Yeah, I think it's been it's been interesting. In the past 12 months, I've hired three of my direct reports to into roles, two of which started in the pandemic and did most of their interviewing in the pandemic. And that's been challenging. I think the the great thing about hiring people now is that it's actually a lot easier to schedule interviews. You can do all of it over Zoom. And that's that's really powerful. And that actually, I think, speeds up the interview process quite substantially. I didn't fully recognize that until I started going through some of these processes at how fast you can hire now because you don't have to <laughs> require people to travel all over the place. So that's been like an unexpected positive outcome. I think the challenge is, and Kamakshi, I would love to hear your experience, especially because you joined Microsoft basically right around the pandemic. 
I think starting in a new role in a company where you've never met any of your of the people that report to you potentially in person, you're not meeting any of your peers in person. I think there's a lot of challenges with that. The good thing is, is that there are ways to be intentional about building those connections. But there's something to be said, especially if you're managing a large team, you are just not going to be like people are not going to feel as connected to you as a leader as they are when they see you walking around the office and they can they have like some sort of physical connection to you. Now over Zoom, that just doesn't happen unless you schedule a meeting or do like a all hands or anything like that. You don't really get a lot of those like kind of more organic conversations going on. And, and I think that that's really challenging. We haven't solved it. I think there's technologies that are out there that are trying to create some of those organic connections between people. And we're testing a bunch of them out at LiveRamp to see if we can help create some of those organic connections in a virtual environment. But I think it's it's definitely tougher for people, especially more junior or newer in their careers in the organization to be getting that access to that mentorship and getting as much access to their leaders. Great point. I completely empathize and sympathize with the challenge and whether it is an organization of the size and scale of Microsoft or whether it's an organization of the size and scale of LiveRamp, the problems and challenges are shared in many ways. And to your point, whether it is all around sort of that organic connectivity, I don't know, this might be a controversial point coming from a technologist like myself. (laughs) I'm not quite sure that technology has a way of entirely replacing that organic human connection that comes or that we find, like, see you walking around the office and kind of having that kind of, you know, quick couple minute chat that we are able to make that connect. And so I personally have deployed I don't know, a couple practices. I'll see how they're successful or not. I make it a point to be more vulnerable in a context that is applicable for my team, for a cross-functional team. It's okay to share something that went wrong in a day, or it's okay to share something that's not going well in a particular project or in a particular strategy or in a particular meeting even. So I think that the right ways of finding vulnerability, whether it is personal or professional, and being able to kind of sort of share with your team, sort of the human aspect of who you are and who we are as a team, I think is extremely important. And from a talent onboarding perspective, to your point that especially junior people uh, or people who are starting off in their careers and, you know, finding that connect. So where possible, you know, you and I have talked about this before, you do a lot of sort of walking meetings, the ability to do them in a socially distanced, safe fashion, as and when applicable, so that you're able to kind of find moments of connect is absolutely critical. So hopefully as we come out of this pandemic, as and when the time arrives, we don't forget how much we yearned for that human connect and yes. try to sort of, you know, make better humans out of ourselves as professionals, as leaders, and take that learning from us in the post-pandemic era. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think there's so much that I know I personally have learned about how to set the right boundaries for myself with work and my personal life and really how to show up as a more human leader for the people on my team. And those are things that I really hope carry through for everyone post-pandemic. 
Well, Kamakshi, this was a wonderful conversation. I feel like we could continue talking on this topic for at least a couple more hours. Thank you so much for joining me for this. I'm excited to see what comes next. And maybe we can do a, a session post-pandemic and talk about what our learnings are and what we're what we're carrying forward after this is all over, which is hopefully in the not too distant future. Absolutely. And uh, it's such a pleasure having to kind of have this forum with you, Annika. You're someone I've admired for a long enough time, having this conversation, learning from you all these experiences. And to your point, hopefully we'll do this in the post-pandemic era where we'll share our learnings because there are certainly going to be many more between now and then as well. If you enjoyed this conversation, you'll love what we have planned for the Ramp Up Virtual Summit 2021. I'm thrilled to be in seeing the event, which will be held on Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021. We'll kick off with the incredible Issa Rae as our keynote speaker, followed by a presentation from Dara Traceder, CMO of Peloton, on how to build brand love. Head to rampup.rampedup.us to learn more and register. This podcast was brought to you by LiveRamp. You can find us online at liveramp.com and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at LiveRamp. Subscribe to Saying the Quiet Part Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you listen to podcasts.